0: Thank you for tuning in to Alethea Bible Fellowship. Today's sermon deals with the pride of life, notoriety, specifically biblical examples of notoriety, both in the positive and the negative. I uh, hope you find this uh, subject of interest and you learn something from it. If you want any more information about this or more things that we have to offer here at uh, Alethea Bible Fellowship, you can visit our website at abfpdx.org. So before we start our sermon uh, today, we do want to take opportunity to spend just a moment in prayer uh, to dedicate this this word to God. So Father in heaven, we do thank you for the opportunity we have to gather together today to hear from your word, um, to uh, hear something that applies to our lives and the world that we're uh, in the midst of, Lord, but not uh, part of. We pray for your wisdom, for your spirit to speak to us, for us to hear what it is that your word has to say to us. And we thank you for the opportunity to hear, to understand, and to grow. And we pray all of this, of course, in your son's name. Amen. All right. So we are continuing today on uh, the Pride of Life uh, notoriety. Last week, I took opportunity to discuss basically this... Uh, this drive that we see present in the world today for our names to be known and for our value to be determined based off of how many people know our name. Uh, the the people that we idolize and look up to that are in positions uh, of being seen by, you know, millions or if not billions of people all around the world. Uh, it's. It's ever more present, of course, in today's world that that type of thing gets, you know, experience. It gets, uh, it, it's just in everybody's face. You can't go anywhere, do anything without uh, these these people being lifted up. And uh, because of that, obviously, we have young people start to want to emulate that type of thing. I mean, who? wouldn't want to uh, have this picture of life that just seems glorious, right? Uh, everything that we see includes, uh, well, includes money, right? Everyone loves money, right? Uh, includes the possibility for being able to do things with money, so to have nice things, to have the nice cars, to have the nice house. Uh, it gives an opportunity for you to escape the reality of where you're at, so it's something that's, uh, that is that uh, is, you know, willing you're willing to strive for, that you're willing to go for, to put all your efforts into it. So we see notoriety or fame as being some sort of escape from where it is that we are to some place that will hopefully be better and based off of, of what we can see. Uh, when I was growing up uh, in the, the 80s and 90s, the big thing, uh, the, the big people that were becoming more and more popular were uh, the, the rap stars. Right, the 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 Run dmcs the Beastie Boys, Sugar Hill Gang. I, some of you are like, who are these people? But trust me, they're influential. And without these people, you know, the people that you're hearing now would not even be uh, would not even have a platform. Uh, but just some good, you know, honest abilities to to take what they saw going on around them, put them into words, to be backed with some music and then, hey, we should record this. And then, you know, you have a bunch of uh, teenagers sitting around with their boom box, uh, ready to press record when the radio plays their song. I'll explain what a boom box is some other time. But trust me, a lot of afternoons were spent by people ready to press those two buttons, record and play, on these thing called cassette tapes. It was like a mini reel to reel. I'm going way too far back at this point. But that was who was the rising stars, and the purpose for those uh, rap stars was to get their name known, so that they can get out of the situations that they find them in. A lot of them were growing up in uh, just the the inner cities, uh, getting themselves out of the the gang activities, uh, or even blowing up the gang activities as if it gave them some credit because the whole purpose for doing that was not just to make more money but it was so that they would be famous and popular if you look today that's still carried off the same themes travel through the rap music that's popular today it's all about I've got mine I'm well known I'm the best rapper ever you all can't even compare to me it's all about lifting self up uh, looking for that way out. Uh, and relishing the fact that you're getting all that attention, fame, and glory. Uh, we have people who are not coming from those types of situations that have glommed onto this as kind of their own voice as well. So with social media, we now have uh, people on YouTube or uh, you know, TikTok, uh, Instagram, Spotify, uh, just putting out their own material and getting discovered by that, uh, <clears throat> probably a little bit of an older example. But even like Justin Bieber, how was he? Ex- how was he? You know, discovered? Well, his parents put out a YouTube video of him playing the drums. Now he's you know, sold millions of records. What's going on in his life is important to everybody. Who he, who he's married to. Uh, if, uh, if he's a Christian or not, all of these types of things pop up uh, for us to see every day. The, the draw for fame and notoriety is all around us. And it's easy for us to look at that and say, well, this is the example of what that does. I want a piece of that. But if I had that notoriety, I wouldn't fall trapped to those pitfalls, right? If I had fame, if everybody knew my name, I would be secure, I would be okay. I'm not gonna have this, this, and this happen to me. Believe it or not, those people that we look up to as famous and popular, they, they didn't get into that thinking, you know what, when I grow up, I'm gonna be famous, and I'm gonna do drugs and destroy my life. When I grow up, I'm gonna be famous, I'm gonna spend all my money, and I'm gonna be bankrupt by the time I'm 30. These thoughts didn't go into their head They just wanted the fame and fortune and what they saw of it. Because what we see is that picture of the glorious outcomes. And every once in a while we get uh, a picture into the pitfalls of that, but those things are quickly swept under the rug. They're quickly gone by. And then either you hear about the rebound and it's back on the positive or you never hear their names again. Because when you look for your value in that type of system, unless people are talking about you, you're not, you're not receiving the accolades that you want. So what does it look to be, you know, what does it look like to be popular, famous, to have notoriety? Um, what, uh, what are the things that we were looking for in that? So we're going to take a specific look today at some biblical examples of notoriety and fame, because believe it or not, the Bible talks about this very type of thing. Isn't that weird? The Bible actually addresses something that's going on in today. And uh, it's applicable. Who would have thought that we could find something that speaks to today's life and times, but it was written long ago. Uh, So we have uh, for uh, ourselves a few case studies. We're gonna do some case studies today. And we're gonna take a look at the fame and fortune, the notoriety that these people had, and what, uh, what they did with that. Um, what the outcome was uh, for that, and we're just going to take a look at four. We're not going to—I mean, I could—I could spend hours, um, but we'll just touch on these four. And I'm sure that others will come to mind that you can think of too. Uh, but we're going to start with, uh, you know, uh, Absalom. Now, if, if any of you don't know who Absalom is, he was the third son of King David. Everybody know who who's King? Yeah, the King David, there we go, I can speak again. Everyone knows who King David was. He had many sons. Uh, his sons had some issues. That's, that's putting it mildly, his sons had some issues. One of them, of course, the third son was Absalom. Uh, <clears throat> let, let me just turn to the Bible and we'll have the Bible describe Absalom to us. Just so you get a, p- clear, a, clear, a clear picture. And I'll take some water before I do that apparently. <clears throat> So you can turn to 2 Samuel chapter 14. And uh, 2 Samuel chapter 14 and verses 25 and 26 describes for us uh, Absalom. And you can see a little bit about his fame and fortune. Now, of course, he had going for him that he was the king's son. But in addition to that, in 2 Samuel 14 verses 25 and 26, we get a, a description of him. So now Absalom was praised as the most handsome man in all of Israel. He was flawless from head to foot. He cut his hair only once a year, and then only because it was so heavy. And when he weighed it out, it came to five pounds. So this guy, long, glorious locks, right? Uh, He was handsome, he was beautiful, Long, luxurious, curly hair, and he only cut it once a year. And I'd like to think that he didn't, like, shave it off, because it just says he cut it, it didn't say that he shaved it all off. And whatever he cut off that had grown in that year was so thick and full and luxurious that it weighed five pounds. Trust me, that's the only time I'm going to talk about hair, it's just for Absalom. Somebody's probably making a joke, you've seen the back of my head, I could use some long, luxurious locks. But he was, uh, he had beautiful eyes, a beautiful face, a beautiful form, he was athletic. Uh, He he was the the picture of fame and fortune. He had money because he was the king's son. He was beautiful, people knew his name. There was no one like him at the time. He was a sportsman and a showman. And when he came into town or he left a town, When he went down the road, the whole populace would pour out to see him. Because he was unusually handsome and good looking and athletic. He was also a shrewd thinker. In the eyes of the world, he he had things together. He was thinking ahead. Um, For example, in 2 Samuel chapter 15, verses two through five, because of his fame, because of his notoriety as this handsome young man, he wanted to improve his stature, use what he already had to gain more glory. So in 2 Samuel 15, verses 2 through 5, we see him taking this and putting it to use. Starting in verse 2, he got up early every morning, went out to the gate of the city, and when the people brought a case to the king for ju- uh, judgment, Absalom would ask where in Israel they were from, and they would tell him their tribe. And then he would say, you've got a really strong case here. It's too bad that the king doesn't have anyone to hear it. I wish I were the judge, then everyone could bring their cases to me for judgment and I would give them justice. When the people tried to bow down before him, Absalom wouldn't let them. Instead, he took them by the hand and he kissed them. I love technology, don't you? So he took them by the hand, he kissed them, and he did this with everyone that came to the king for judgment. So he stole the hearts of the people of Israel. So being the the shrewd man, working off of his fame that he already had, he put himself in between the people who would come for judgment on the issues that they were dealing with, between them and the king. And then he stole their hearts. No, 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 don't bow down. I'm a person just like you. It's too bad that the king doesn't have time for you. I certainly have time for you. So with words of honey, he enthralled them. So he increased his fame. Imagine the effect that this has on the people of Israel. The king's son, the heir apparent, uh, instead of receiving their adoration and bowing, he comes alongside and he hugs you and he kisses you. And he says, I got you, I'm gonna take care of you. So all these people then would go back home from you know wherever they come from, they'd go back there and they'd say, oh, well, David's a great king, but Absalom, there is nobody like Absalom. So his popularity and fame grew even more. He stole the hearts of the men of Israel. That is why he could do the damage that he did. He did great damage to not just his father, but to the kingdom of Israel. With that fame and that notoriety, he took it upon himself then to insert himself as king. So at the age of 25, he gathered people to him, he went out from Jerusalem to another town, he invited people to great dinner, and that dinner was to announce the fact that he was taking over as king. So David, 61, great king, his son, 25, goes out of town and says, I'm the king now. And David, of course, finally hears about this. So what, what is the result of this betrayal? The use of all his fame, his fortune, his notoriety, the result is we see that a little bit uh it, what 2 Samuel 15 and 23 and 30. I just want you to get a picture of this scene. So this is after David hears that Absalom has done this. Starting in verse 23, it says, Everyone cried loudly as the king and his followers passed by. They crossed the Kidron Valley and went out towards the wilderness. Zadok and all the Levites came along carrying the ark of the covenant of God, and they set down the ark of God and offered sacrifices until everyone had passed out of the city. So everyone in the city is coming out, not just because the ark is there, but because King David is exiting the city. He is fleeing for his life, and people are crying in this regard. 25 says, then, the king instructed Zadok to take the ark back into the city. If the Lord sees fit, David said, he will bring me back to see the ark in the tabernacle again. But if he is through with me, then let him do what seems best to him. The king also told Zadok the priest, look, here's my plan. You and Abathar should return quietly to the city of, my, of your son Ahimaaz and Abathar's son Jonathan. I will stop at the shallows of the Jordan River and wait there to report, uh, for the report from you. So Zadok and Abathar took the ark back into the city and stayed there, and David, walked up the road to the Mount of Olives, weeping as he went. His head covered, his feet were bare as signs of mourning, and the people who were with him covered their heads and wept as they climbed the hill. And when someone told David that his advisor, uh, Ahithophel, was backing Absalom, David prayed, O Lord, let him give Absalom foolish advice. Just get, get this picture. The king of Israel is leaving the capital city in mourning, crying out with the city crying for him. You would be hard pressed to find a more dramatic scene in any literature. His head bare, his feet bare weeping as he climbs the ascent of Mount Olive. Not sure what he would face and placing his destiny purely in the hands of God Now, this is David. I'm sure it's been mentioned before to you that David had a special relationship in regards to God. In fact, it is said uh, that uh, in in Acts uh, 13, it says, I have chosen me a man after my own heart, and his throne will be established forever. This man David, the man after God's own heart, is the vehicle through which God brings, through his descendants, Jesus down to earth. This is how the Messiah comes to be. So how does this end for Absalom? Drunk on his own fame, the popularity he has with the people, he goes to battle He goes to battle to fight, to take over the kingdom that he has deemed is now his. And in 2 Samuel 18, we see the outcome of that battle. 2 Samuel 18, verses 6 through 9. So the battle began in the forest of Ephraim, and the Israelite troops were beaten back by David's men. There was a great slaughter that day, and 20,000 men laid down their lives. The battle raged all across the countryside, and more men died because of the forest than were killed by the sword. See, in the chaos, they were killed by the forest itself. See, during the battle, Absalom himself happened upon some of David's men, and he tried to escape on his mule, but as he rode past beneath the thick branches of a great tree, his hair got caught in the tree. And his mule kept going and it left him dangling in the air. One of the very things that is used to describe this man of great notoriety ends up being his demise. His hair was quite strong because it supported him as he hung from the tree. Absalom's claim to fame is his own undoing. He sold himself and the people followed. Seeking after the glory for himself, seeking power for power's sake, he met his demise by the very tools that he used. For that. Now if you contrast that, the second case study would be Elisha. Elisha was called to service as a prophet by the prophet Elijah. A lot of people get those confused because they're kind of similar, right? So Elisha comes after Elijah. In fact, Elijah uh, calls Elisha. You can read about that in 1 Kings uh, chapter 19. In verses 19 and 21, it says, So Elijah went and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, plowing a field where twelve teams of oxen, in the field, and Elisha was plowing with the 12th team. Elijah went over to him, threw his cloak over his shoulders, and then walked away. Elisha left the oxen standing there and ran after Elijah and said to him, first let me go and kiss my father and mother goodbye, and then I will go with you. And Elijah responds, go on back, but think about what I have done to you. So Elisha returns to his oxen. He slaughters them and uses the wood from the plow to build a fire to roast their flesh and he passed around the meat to the townspeople and they all ate. And then he went with Elijah to be his assistant. So as we see Elisha being called to Elijah, we see first uh, an act of self Now, First of all, I'm not sure if you're aware of this, not many of you are landowners with farms and, and you don't have teams of oxen. So, 12 teams of oxen, that's a very large amount of oxen. A team would be two or three. And to, just, so, if we just take the, the lower, we take the two, uh, that would be 24 oxen. To be able to provide for those oxen themselves means that you had to be well to do, you had to be rich. And then to have fields so large that would require that many teams of oxen. Is huge. So, Elisha doesn't come from a poor family. He comes from a very rich family. But we don't see Elisha reaching out to try to seek after glory and power in this. Elijah comes to him, and Elisha rushes out to meet him, to follow after him. Now, of course, we, we just see Elisha kind of in the background for you know, for a while in the story until we get to uh, when Elijah is called up to God. Now that, of course, is now in 2 Kings chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. You see Elijah going up to heaven in a fiery chariot. Uh, in that... Um, Before he goes, uh, verse 9, it says, When they came to the other side, Elijah said to Elisha, Tell me what I can do for you before I'm taken away. And Elisha responded, Please let me inherit a double share of your spirit and become your successor. Elijah responds, That you have asked a difficult thing, but if you see me when I am taken from you, then you will get your request. But if not, then you won't. Not only did he get a chance to see him, but as... Elijah was taken up before God his cloak fell down for Elisha to take from that now Elisha as the prophet of God the main prophet of God has 28 recorded miracles he spent his time giving bold counsel God's instruction he was sought by kings he was sought by widows um, his fame is known not just in, uh, in Israel but also from afar. Uh, you hear the king of Aram mentioned a bunch. and In fact, he has, um, he has people coming to him. Uh, one of the, the uh, generals in, in the king of Aram's army was Naaman. Naaman had l- developed leprosy and he went to see Elisha. Uh, he didn't like what Elisha had to say but eventually he turned around and his leprosy was cured by just bathing in the Jordan River. Elisha was sought after by many people. But Elisha didn't seek power and fame. He sought God's will. So people came to him to hear what God had to say, not what Elisha had to say. So we have in the Old Testament, the... uh, The example of Absalom, who seeks after fame. We have also the example of Elisha. Moving on to the New Testament, we have some examples as well. I spoke about Acts. Acts is great. It's the history book of the New Testament. So we get to see some of the things that occurred as the gospel was spread. So in the New Testament, uh, in Acts 8, uh, we meet uh, Simon the Great. So in Acts chapter 8, verses 5 through 25, you see Philip coming to the city of Samaria, and he tells the people there about the Messiah, and the crowds listen intently because they're eager to hear it. They're eager to hear this good news. Crowds listened intently because they were eager to hear his message and see his miraculous signs. Many evil spirits were cast out, screaming as they left their victims, and many who had paralyzed the lame were healed. So there was great joy in the city. And then we meet Simon. A man named Simon had been a sorcerer there for many years, amazing the people of Samaria and claiming to be someone great. Everyone from the least to the greatest often spoke of him as the great one, the power of God. So Simon had spent years of his life seeking out through whatever divinations, sorcery, to find power so that he would be well known. Now it continues on in Acts to say that they listened closely to him because he had astounded them with his magic. So he was very renowned. People came to him with all sorts of issues, and he would take care of it. And he sought their adoration. But now, the people believed Philip's message of the good news concerning the kingdom in the name of Jesus Christ, and as a result, as a result, Simon himself believed and is baptized. And he began to follow Philip wherever he went and was amazed by the signs, the great miracles that Philip t- that had performed. Uh, When the apostles in Jerusalem heard the people at Samaria had accepted God's message, they sent Peter and John there. And as soon as they arrived, they prayed for these new believers to receive the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit had not come upon any of them, for they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Then Peter and John laid their hands upon these believers, and they received the Holy Spirit. And when Simon saw, the Spirit was given when the apostles laid their hands... He offered them money to buy this power. So, this man who has been exercising powers of sorcery from whatever source sees the power of the Holy Spirit and he wants that for himself. And he says, Let me have this power too, so that I may lay hands on people and they will receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter replied, May your money be destroyed with you for thinking God's gift can be bought. You can have no part in this, for your heart is not right with God. Repent of your wickedness, pray to the Lord, and perhaps he will forgive your evil thoughts. For I can see that you are full of bitter jealousy and held captive by sin. Pray to the Lord for me, Simon exclaimed, that these terrible things that you have said won't happen. And after testifying and preaching in the Lord of Samaria, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem, and they stopped in many villages. So Simon himself was enthralled with the idea of being well-known. And through sorcery for years he had got his wish so far that people had called him Simon, the Great One, the power of God. But when he sees true power, when he sees the Holy Spirit, he is awed by that. So this is a man that has been exhibiting power for years just From the wrong source. And when he sees the power of the Holy Spirit, which is so much greater, he wants that. But his motives are not pure, and he is called out for that. So because of his heart seeking after fame and notoriety and jealous and covetousness, he is led to a critical juncture. And he is rebuked for his attitude so that he may never receive that. So again, you see a picture of someone who is seeking after power so that they can be lifted up and known. Now there are many people that we could choose from uh, as, a, as a, a counter to Simon. I mean, we could go for the big one, we could talk about Jesus. Um, we can talk about uh, any of the apostles who were, you know, fishermen who were brought up uh, to be well known. We could talk about um, Paul, who was, you know, a well-known, educated Pharisee who sought to destroy the followers of the way, but then, through his journeys, came to be one of the biggest proponents of Christianity. Well, I want to talk about John the Baptist. John the Baptist is, for me, just like this total picture of what it means to, to seek out, to do God's will, and to come to notoriety for this. He didn't even, he didn't even spend time living in the cities. He, he took himself out to the wilderness to cry out about who God was. So in those days, uh, you can read about this in Matthew, by the way, chapter 3. John the Baptist came to the Judean wilderness and began preaching. His message was, repent your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Now, just for a description, the Bible tells us in verse 4 that John's clothes were woven from coarse camel hair, and he wore a leather belt around his waist. And for food, he ate locusts and wild honey. Nonetheless... It also says that people from Jerusalem and from all of Judea, Judea and all over Jordan Valley went out to see and hear John. And when they confessed their sins, he baptized them in the Jordan River. Now, you would think that, you know, with this notoriety that he's gaining, that he would want to, you know, be careful to make sure to maintain that. But when the religious leaders themselves come out to see him because he's gained such notoriety with the people that it draws their attention. So the Pharisees and Sadducees come out to see him. The Bible says that when the Pharisees and Sadducees came to watch him baptized, he denounced them. You brood of snakes, he exclaimed, who warned you to flee the coming wrath? Prove by the way you live that you have repented of your sins and turned to God. Don't just say to each other, we're safe. We are descendants of Abraham. That means nothing. For I tell you, God can create children of Abraham from these very stones. Even now the axe of God's judgment is poised, ready to sever the roots of the trees. Yes, every tree that does not produce good fruit will be chopped down and thrown into, into the fire. I baptize with water those who repent of their sins and turn to God, but someone is coming who is greater than I so much greater that i am not worthy even to be his slave to carry his sandals he will baptize you with the holy spirit and with fire he is ready to separate the chaff from the wheat with his winnowing fork and then he will clean the threshing area gathering the wheat into his barn but burning the chaff with never-ending fire i don't know about you but if i was looking for fame and notoriety And the leaders of the city came to me, the religious leaders, and said, I wouldn't call them brooding vipers. I'd wanna be in their good graces, right? Because they already have what it is that I'm seeking for. But his passion for God, his passion for the one that was to come after him, was so great that he called them out on their sin to the glory of God. He's not famous because he hung out with the right crowds or he sought to exalt himself he was heralding for the Messiah from the wilderness and it was because of this that his fame spread so far that even the religious leaders who had great sway would see him. The biblical descriptions of notoriety have one or two outcomes. Those people that lift up themselves I mean, if you really want to get a good picture, um, like I said, there's tons of information. Just go through kings, and you'll hear time and time again about what this king did and what that king did. Kings are pretty influential people. I don't know if you're aware of this. Just look over to England, and you'll see that we, there's a queen who's reigned for decades at this point. And regardless of the fact that she's more of a figurehead and removed from the parliament that actually governs, still pretty popular, right? The news magazines are talking all about her grandkids, right, I, apparently some have even moved out and live in Canada. I'm a little late to the game, I don't keep track of the, the princes, so uh, forgive me in that. But you can see even today that there's, uh, there's fame and there's notoriety that's attached to people that are in royalty, and the Bible is filled with the comings and goings of kings, it's filled with the popular and the unpopular. And there is a marked difference in the outcomes for those that seek notoriety for themselves versus those that seek after God and are brought into notoriety because of that. It's really about what your focus is in that regard. In fact, the Bible tells us specifically that if we are seeking the adoration, that is all that we're going to get. Matthew 6 Verses 1 through 2. It says, watch out. Don't do your good deeds publicly to be admired for other, by others because you will lose the reward from your Father in heaven. And when you give someone in need, don't do as the hypocrites do, blowing trumpets in the synagogues and the streets to call attention to their acts of charity. I tell you the truth. They have received all the reward that they will ever get. So all these people that you see posting uh, the big thing is now, you, I, I guess you go up to somebody with your closed fists to get a fist bump, and if they bump your fist, you present them with an iPhone? No, it's happening. It's happening, mark my words. It's happening. You have people who are made uh, famous on YouTube. Uh, Mr. Beast apparently has a lot of money that he just wants to give people. He'll buy car dealerships and sell cars for one dollar. Where was he when I was looking for a new car? But these types of people who are seeking for their acts of charity have received all the praise that they are going to receive for it. When you seek out recognition from your fellow man and you receive your reward there, that's it. That's all the reward that you are going to get. And man is a fickle beast and his attentions sway and swerve. And one day, you will be known no more. The Bible paints a very clear picture of what fame and notoriety represent in regards to our walk with Christ. Now, I want to say again, notoriety in and of itself is not bad. The Bible gives us people who have been famous, who are famous, and we know their names today, and not just because we're Christians. Even the atheists will read and understand who these people are. Our calendar was affected by the person of Jesus as well. It's not impossible to utilize fame and notoriety that we have. But are we seeking after that fame and notoriety? People working for the glory of God and spreading the good news and not working for their own name and spreading their own name have a very difficult task. And it depends upon your goal. When you have notoriety and fame, it's very easy to be tempted by all that the world has to offer. And we can see examples, even in the the last few years, of people who have achieved fame for the right reasons, but then they have turned away because of all the temptations. So it is possible to serve God and be famous. Fame, notoriety, are not bad in and of themselves. But it is very difficult to do. And it requires someone of strong character. Someone who seeks after God's will and not their own will. Someone who can identify with Christ as he sits praying in the garden not my will but your will be done because when the emptiness comes and the praise is no longer heard when what you have done no longer receives praise when you are cursed instead of blessed in the end if you're in the right place If you're seeking to do the will of our Father in heaven, you'll receive his glory despite what everyone else in the world would be saying. So do you seek praise for praise sake or do you seek God and humbly direct that praise to him? What do you do with what you have? We'll explore more over the next couple of weeks, but for now I want to leave you with a couple of questions and we'll discuss these in our cell groups. would like you to ask yourself where have you seen notoriety have an effect on someone? I'm sure we've all have some type of indirect connection to uh, people of notoriety or fame. Uh, Was that uh, seven degrees of uh, Kevin Bacon? You know, in seven steps we're all Really great friends with Kevin Bacon, at least. Uh, So where have you seen notoriety have an effect on someone? Also, uh, second question, where do you see fame being used for God? So when you look through everyone that is considered famous or has uh, obtained some form of notoriety, where do you see that being used for God? And the third one is, again, uh, on the same vein as last week, I asked uh, about one for introspection. Uh, This one would be, what do you wish to be famous for? Uh, So time for introspection in that regard.